Listen as I read First Samuel chapter 23 today. Read verses 1 through 13. <clears throat> this is God's word. Then they told David, saying, Look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah. They are robbing the threshold floors. Therefore, David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, Look, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord once again. The Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines, struck them with a mighty blow and took away their livestock. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. Now it happened when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David at Keilah, that he went down with an ephod in his hand. And Saul was told that David had gone to Keilah. So Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. Then Saul called all the people together for war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. When David knew that Saul plotted evil against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah deliver me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. The Lord said, he will come down. Then David said, will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will deliver you. So David and his men, about 600, arose and departed from Keilah and where it went wherever they could go. Then it was told Saul that David had escaped from Keilah, so he halted the expedition. We face decisions every day of our lives decisions that have to do with things very practical and things that are more momentous. How is it that we discern God's will in making these decisions? This passage that describes David's, uh, David's life is one that teaches us that God, uh, or excuse me, that David acted as the king that God intended. And he did so 
by looking to the Lord for answers. In this passage, I'm going to be highlighting two ways in which he looked to the Lord. He looked to God's word, and he looked to the Lord in prayer. By way of introduction, I want you to notice some of the shifts that has been taking place in 1 Samuel. We've seen that David had been running away from Saul, even hiding in a cave, and then hiding in amongst the enemies, the Philistines. But God had called David to be his king. He was preparing him to serve and is now bringing him forward to act like the king that he had called him to be. And we see that moving forward, that David acts more and more as a king. By way of comparison, we've been seeing that Saul acted more and more as the tyrant that he became. He had focused his energy and his hatred on tracking down David and killing anyone who got into his path. That seemingly left the borders of Israel open. It's almost an invitation to the Philistines to come and to attack this small city of Keilah. But that city was just three miles from where David was, uh, was residing at this point in the area of Adullam. So what would David do? If he acted to protect, protect Keilah, David would expose himself to Saul. And David's experience thus far with Saul had been a very sore trial of his faith. So what would he do? How would he make his decision? In God's grace, chapter 23 tells about David's growing faith. And there are significant changes that are taking place in David's life. And there are significant helps that the Lord brings. You might notice that God, who rules over all things, is orchestrating all of history to enable David to do what God intended him to do. God had prophetically stripped Saul of the kingship, showing that he reigns over tyrants, and he now is moving David forward to act like that king. And he brings significant other leaders into David's camp. God sent Gad, the prophet, to come and to encourage David, to instruct him and to direct him. And then God delivered the priest Abiathar from Saul's murderous grasp. And as the only remaining son of the high priest, Abiathar now came as the high priest of Israel. He came to live with David. He came bringing the symbols of his office, the ephod, which we'll go into a little bit later. So we have gathered together now around David the three institutions of God's order. We have the prophet, the priest, and the king. Gordon Ketty says with this triad of prophet, priest, and king, that this constitutes God's stamp of authority on David's enterprise. With these reassurances, David faces this next trouble faces a similar trial of faith. What would he do 
What decision would he make? And how would he make that decision? As he is exposed to the threat of the Philistines and then the further threat of Saul. Well, as we look at what David did, I want you to notice first that David saved God's people. He acted in a way and decided to act in a way that was in agreement with with God's word of what the king ought to do. He recognized the threat that the Philistines posed. They were invading God's God's people. Was invaded, they were invading the promised land, and so he did what God intended the king to do. He intended for the king to protect God's people. It's a fundamental rule, or fundamental role of the king, a fundamental role of a national government. It's learned from the law of God. David could turn back, for instance, to Genesis chapter 49, Or Numbers chapter 24 and see the proclamation of the scepter of Judah, that symbol of power of a king, that the scepter would defend God's people. There it was speaking of the earthly kings and looking forward to the coming of Jesus Christ. And David recognizes that threat. By comparison, Saul was derelict of his duty. He became so obsessed with finding and killing David that he neglected his other duties as kings. David recognized this duty and moved to protect the, uh, protect the people of God. He would write about this in, in a couple of psalms. If you look at Psalm 2 and Psalm 45, which we sang, there's a speaking of what the king does. In those psalms, David praises God for the victories that that God had provided for him. Having been humbled by God, David resists the temptation to take any glory to himself. Instead, he directs all of his praise to God, who is the one who has enabled him to do this. It is God's strength that is on display in David. It is his wisdom. It is his direction. So he says that it is his victory as well. At the same time, you can't miss how David understood that what he was doing was part of something greater than his own life. God enabled David to see that there was a greater king that would follow after him, that there would be a greater victory, a spiritual victory over sin and death. David was king, he was really king, but you might think of him as something of a regent, of serving in God's name, ruling in the name of the true king. David understood this. So by faith, David looked to fulfill God's kingly purpose in his life. And he did so by saving God's people from physical enemies. But then also by faith, David was pointing forward to the greater king who would save from the spiritual enemy of sin and death. In this way, we can see something of the work of Jesus Christ for us. Jesus is also a king. 
I'm reminded of the way our shorter catechism speaks of the kingship of Jesus Christ. It says that Christ executes the office of king in subduing us to himself. It means rescuing us from the enemy, in ruling and defending us, and in restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. David took God's word seriously and acted to save God's people. And take note as well that David did this even though the inhabitants of Keilah turned around and threatened to to betray David. Here he is. He's the one who has, has, has rescued them from the raiding Philistines. He had delivered them. And now as he is... Uh, is in a sense their celebrating of victory over the Philistines, word gets out that David is here and that alerts Saul. And just like David's men were afraid, Saul uh, sets out to try to capture David as he was, as he was uh, inside this city. And David asked God, what would happen when Saul arrives? Will the people of Keilah deliver me to Saul? And God says, yes, they will. Talk about ingratitude. (laughs) Well, on behalf of the people of Keilah, remember what Saul did to the city of the priests? He went there and he killed all of the inhabitants Remember it said man, woman, child, nursing infants, the animals. You can understand the fear that the city of Keilah now felt. Since David was with them, they were exposed to Saul's wrath. And they did not want to fall into Saul's hands. So what would they do? God told them that Keilah would deliver David into Saul's hands. And I can't help here, but now also thinking of Jesus again. David is something of a picture of Jesus once more in this. Think of what Jesus has done to accomplish salvation, even in the face of of the rebellion of mankind and the rejection that he faced. John 1 says that he who made the world came into the world and it didn't know him. It didn't know its its maker. And he came to his own, his redeemed people, and his own did not receive him. He laid aside the glory of heaven. He humbled himself to become a man to become a servant, to represent us in salvation by suffering the painful and shameful death of the cross. Many have rejected him in unbelief, loving their own comforts and desires rather than loving Christ. And even Christians are guilty of this. And even I am guilty of this, of returning to my own pet sins, those desires that 
wage war against my allegiance to Jesus Christ. And I give them room. I give them room. Christ came from heaven to save us. And while we were dead in our sins, and while we were his enemies, he came from on high to deliver us. Christ has saved God's people. David decided to do so as well. As a prefiguring of our Savior Jesus Christ, and in fulfillment of what God intended the king to be. Secondly, David looked to the Lord, and this is where the decision-making process comes to rise to the top in this, in this passage. David looked to the Lord, and he did so in two ways. He looked to God's word, and he looked to the Lord in prayer. I've always already mentioned part of the word of God that David could appeal to. He could understand how the Lord had instituted national government and even declared that there would one day be a king in Israel. Remember that asking for a king was not wrong. It was Israel asked for a king like the nations around them. God would have a king. The king was a representative of the Lord's kingship and a foreshadowing of Jesus. But all throughout scripture, even leading up to that first king, there is an anticipation. David could, could, could turn to that and see what his role would be. David also prayed. He genuinely wanted to know God's direction. So he asked, what shall I do? Shall I attack the Philistines? The Lord said to David, go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. It begs a little bit of a question here, and explanation is, is important. David asked in prayer, and so how is it that God answered? We're not told in this text, uh, but it does record that God answered David. The Lord had given his word, but in this period of the church, there were times in which God spoke through his prophets. And God had brought a prophet into David's midst, hadn't he? God had brought Gad, the prophet, to encourage him earlier, to direct him where to go. And it's likely that as David prayed, as he inquired of the Lord, that he did so in the context of the prophet Gad. By comparison, once again, Saul had no desire to know what God, uh, what God had in mind for him to do. If you look back through the earlier chapters, you'll find Saul making a show of asking God what to do. Only to take matters into his own hands when God's answer didn't fit his intentions. That shows no desire in discerning God's will. 
It's trying to get God on his own side. In fact, Saul even invokes God's name in his decision here. God has delivered David into our hands. Well, where did God tell Saul that? The text doesn't show that either, does it? <laughs> Saul was invoking God's name to, uh, uh, to, to baptize what he was doing, what he wanted to do, and that was to hunt down David. He had already brushed God aside. He had ignored God's counsel. He had rejected God's command and his word. But David genuinely wanted God's direction. And so he sought it out in his word and in his prayer. But making decisions is not all that easy, is it? And it wasn't easy for David. As he made this decision, he got pushback from his own men. His own men came and questioned his leadership and his decision. David, I'm not so sure about this. We will expose ourselves if we go to the defense of Keilah. We'll expose ourselves to Saul, who has a lot more armies than we do. We'll expose ourselves, he'll sweep in, and he will wipe us out. So once more, David has a trial of faith. How will he decide? What should he do in the midst of this decision? So what does he do? Well, like any self-respecting politician, he put his finger to the wind and he listened to his advisors around him, what was prudent politically, and uh, he caved to his men and ran off and hid, rather than protecting Keilah. Is that what David did? No, he didn't, did he? He went to God again. He asked God's direction once more. And that's just so choice, isn't it? That in our decision-making process, we often face pushback, don't we? We often face fears and doubts and we go and we ask God to lead us and we search the words to ask God's Spirit to direct our decisions. And then when fears arise, so many times we crumble in the face of that. But instead, David goes once more to the Lord and he prays, should I go down? And the Lord answered, Arise and go down to Keilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. And it's a test of faith that continues because David says nothing, God says nothing of Saul at this point. He told David what he must do. What he must do right now is to go and defend God's people in Keilah, save them 
was the word that God said. You will defeat the Philistines. And that's what you need to know. And so David did. But the test of faith continues. After that victory, there's another test. For sure enough, just like David's men had said, Saul got wind of this, he marshaled his armies, and they tried to trap David in the city. Saul even said, here's a city with gates and bars that might protect him, but it also holds him in. We can capture David by destroying the city. There's, the, there's the, the tyrant's solution once again. Remember, this is his own people that he's talking about. In order to capture David, he's willing to sacrifice the whole city. But listen again to David's response. Instead of crumbling under this new pressure, what does David do? He prays again. Again, and this time, the text gives us a little more detail. It says that now Abiathar was, uh, was in David's camp. And this new high priest had come and brought the priestly ephod with him. And the ephod was something of a, 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 of a tunic or breastplate, with a, a number of different symbols and signs upon it. And for, uh, for our purpose today, it also contained what was called the Urim and the Thummim. Now, for the kids, this is, gonna, this, this is a fun word to say. Can you, you can use it with your parents today. Ask them what the Urim and the Thummim were. And actually, they might have to say, like I will tell you today, we're not exactly sure. <laughs> the Bible doesn't tell us a lot about what these were, but it tells them why they were. That in some way, they were used to give answers to questions that the people of God had the priests would ask God to give answer through the Urim and the Thummim. How? Well, I'm not quite sure. But it was an answer from God, and that I am sure of. And that's what David turned to. Can you see David in his decision-making process, fundamentally looking to God every single step of the way in this context. How many times in this passage does it says he prays? How many means of answer or means of grace can you identify? The written word of God, the prophetic word of God, the inquiring of the Lord through the priests and the Urim and the Thummim, 
over and over again, David's decisions looked to God. I want to pause here and marvel once more how David was, was growing in his faith and growing in his exercise of the office of a king. He was turning to the Lord by making use of the means of grace that he had at his hand, the use of the word and prayer. And let me pause and marvel again. I've been comparing David to Saul in the negative and also comparing to Jesus because David once more foreshadows our great and mighty king, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our king. Have you ever noticed how often Jesus prayed? It's remarkable. Next time you read through one of the Gospels, pay attention to the dependence that Jesus, the Son of God, demonstrated with his, fa- with his Father in heaven. You might think that since Jesus is God, that there would be no need for this type of prayer to be offered. The Father and the Son are, are, are one, right? Well, one in and yet in three persons. This is one demonstration of the distinct persons of the Godhead that Jesus prayed. Why would he pray? Well, books could be written on this, but let let me draw your attention to the dependence of the Son on the Father. The Son was even anointed by the Spirit to enable him to do this work. And Jesus availed himself of the means of grace so that he could do the task that his Father had for him. He bailed himself of the word, reading it and preaching it and teaching it. And he prayed. He came from the bosom of the Father and still prayed, longing for that fellowship that prayer demonstrates, longing to commune with his Father and longing to submit himself to his father's command and will. David looked to the Lord in word and prayer, foreshadowing Jesus and giving us direction as well in our decision-making. Thirdly, David laid aside his own comfort. In order to protect God's people, David laid aside his own comfort. By comparison to Saul, Saul ignored his other duties. He pursued his own murderous intent, even to the point of killing his own people. Now, having bottled up David in the city, Saul uses his proven method to try to capture David. But David was not Saul. 
He was in the city because God put him there. He was in the city because God directed him there. And now, since his presence endangered the city, David asked God what was likely to happen. And having asked God, David withdrew from Keilah. And know well that David did not run away in this case. I think he probably ran away in some of the previous chapters. In this case, he doesn't run away. He could have stood and fought. He could have, uh, could have done a lot of things. But he withdrew as, as a mercy to Keilah. He spared them from the wrath of Saul. He protected them. That's what a king does. And he did so to his own discomfort. In fact, the verses that follow are going to describe some of that discomfort. We've been noticing how David's faith and fear were often mixed together, but uh, I want you to see how it's worked out here. In this case, when David asked what Saul would do and what Keilah would do, and God told him, David had what he needed to know. And as God's anointed king, he entrusted himself to the Lord, body and soul. He sought God's direction in word and prayer, and he acted on God's direction, even though it meant laying aside his own comfort. And once more, think about how this represents Jesus Christ. Son of God, the King of Kings, entrusted himself to his Father. He laid aside the glory of the Father, uh, the, the glory of heaven. And think of the agony that's expressed as Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knew and anticipated the weight of being the sin bearer for us. He recognized the, the broken fellowship that would happen as Sin came upon his shoulders, and his father turned his back. Think of how he shook and sweat and cried out as he anticipated the righteous wrath of the father. You can see it and you can hear it as Jesus prayed, Lord, let this cup pass from me. But in the end, he said, not my will, but your will be done. This is why he came, to save his people from their sins, even at the cost of his own comfort. And that's putting it nicely. Even at the cost of his own death. David, having consulted God, made a decision, and entrusted himself to the Lord in that decision, even at the cost of his own comfort. We've been moved by 1 Samuel to look to Christ, and we've been moved to examine Christian leadership broadly, and in this context, to think more specifically about how we go about making decisions. 
Let me gather that all together. I've been making application as I've gone along, but let me just call your attention to three things in closing. David determined what God would have him to do by his word. He looked into what was written. He listened to the prophets of God. And he learned that general principle of defending and protecting God's people. And then he asked more specifically, what should I do in this situation? How shall I accomplish that general command? We received instruction from God. Yes, go save Selah. Or Kila, excuse me. Go save Kila. And he did. Decisions are made by looking to God's word by looking for the principles that the Lord has made and asking him to guide you to apply those to the specific situations that you face. God, what would you have me to do? That's a question that's not asked in a vacuum. It's asked in the context that God has given you his word and that word is sufficient to guide you. Look to that word. Secondly, David prayed, and he prayed again, and he prayed again. He genuinely asked for the Lord's guidance. And when he faced opposition, when he faced pushback, when he faced threats and pressure from enemies, he prayed again. Notice that he didn't go to those who would tickle his ears and tell him what he wanted to hear. He didn't do like Saul did, of invoking God and then going and doing what he wanted to do all along without consulting God's word. Instead, David did exactly that. He went essentially to God's church. He went to his word and God's people and the prophets and the priests to make his decisions. So often today, I fear that decisions are made based on what we want to do already. What is it that I want to do in this situation? And then we baptize that. We, uh, we find others that will agree with us. And we'll get their counsel and, uh, and that will reinforce our thoughts instead of asking God. And thirdly, when the Lord answered, David set out to do what God commanded, even though it was difficult. Some decisions are hard. Some decisions are costly. But David placed a higher value on following the Lord than in finding comfort in this life. In all of this, remember our Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, who humbled himself. Our king humbled himself. 
that he has released us from sin and from death, that he lives to make intercession for us even now. Look to him as you make your decisions. Understand that discerning God's will makes use of those means of grace that God has placed in your hands, the word and prayer. Oh, Lord God, we confess to you that all too often we do just what we want to do. Forgive us, O oh God, for seeking out our own comfort in our own ways. Said, O oh Lord, I pray that we would genuinely appeal to you for direction in our lives. We pray that we would consult those that you have given. We would look to your word and look to, to godly friends and godly members of the church that would guide us in understanding what that word is and make application of those general directions to our specific situations. Lord, make us to be people of prayer that, uh, that when faced with, uh, with opposition or discouragement or pressure, that we would cry out to you. Lord, we pray that you would send an answer we would look to Jesus, who even now intercedes for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's sing Psalm 52, Selection B. This is our Psalm of the Month. And I want you to notice how David concludes this, that in God's house I am a growing I'm growing like a green and fruitful olive tree. Without ceasing, I am trusting in the firm, loyal love of God. David was learning that and is exercising it. Let's stand and sing Psalm 52b. Like a razor you work deceit You love evil more than goodness And deceit more than truthful words You love all yours with destructive power Oh, you sharp and deceitful tongue God will break you down forever and tear you from where you live. By your roots you then will pull you from the land of all living men. Just men see with all yet laughing, this man would not make God his trust. But he trusted his abundant Without ceasing, I am trusting 
in the firm, loyal love of God. I will give you thanks forever, for it's you that has done all this. In your good name, I will set my hope in the midst of your godly ones. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always and in every way. The Lord be with you all. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, praise the Lord, give thanks to God within his holy place and in his mighty vast expanse. Sing out to him your praise. 